you can roll your own network automation. You can. All these free tools exist, right? There's some Ansible and some Python. You can dig deep into vendor APIs and add a lot of persistence and a key human or two that commit themselves to making your homegrown network automation work. And hey, maybe maybe you got something. Or maybe you don't. Maybe what you end up with by rolling your own is a fragmented set of fragile tools that a few folks are familiar with, not really a network automation system. Instead, you've got a motley collection of little scripts and playbooks that help save some time and reduce error count. But again, it's not a system. What do you do when you need an integrated network automation system that works with other infrastructure tools in your organization that lets you apply a DevOps workflow to network device management with version control and golden configs, a review process, and so on? Our sponsor, Glueware, has answers to that question. We've known Glueware for a long time here at Packet Pushers, and I've seen the Glueware platform become one of those network automation systems that I'm referring to. On today's episode, we are getting practical with Infrastructure as Code, talking with folks from Glueware about how their users have integrated network automation into their IT practice. That includes a full-on integration with a manager of managers, where you don't even have to interact with the Glueware UI. You could use the Glue API and simply call on Glueware to program the network to do what's needed in the context of a larger IT function. Our guest today, Glueware's Michael Howe and Olivier Yuen Vaughn. And uh, we want to start off with some context here about where I think a lot of you listening kind of are going to be familiar with this, kind of thinking about where you're at with network automation. But I'm going to come at this a little bit sideways. Uh, Michael, I got a question for you here. Now, someone in the audience recently asked me, whatever happened to SDN? And and I think that's a that's a telling question because it what happened, in my opinion, and I want to get your take on this, I think what happened to SDN is reflected in the state of orchestration and automation. There's lots of platforms, lots of point solutions, and something called intent-based networking. And so in a way, SDN is everywhere, but there's no uniformity. At least that's how I see it. But how, how do you folks at Glueware see it? Yeah, I would I would totally agree, Ethan, in the fact that there's no uniformity. When you think SDN, the original movement was around separation of control plane, data plane, and, and some pretty dramatic changes to the network to enable programmability. And OpenFlow was the kind of front runner and that, that really didn't go anywhere to any, you know, great success. I mean, it had very limited success and it's used still in some very limited applications. But what you did have is a movement around software control of the network and the, the concept of introducing software controllers that that do give you capability down to the network layer. And that has had some success. If you look at the SD-WAN marketplace or there's software defined data center solutions, the, the challenges you mentioned with the lack of consistency is that Every implementation is different. They're implementing their own data modeling. Most of these are kind of policy-based automation. They're not really truly intent-based. So they basically move the config templates and templating up to a controller. And while you have a nice UI, most of these are lots of clicks to get through what you're trying to do. And ultimately you're forced to automate the automation, right? You're, you're kind of forced to, and luckily many of them do provide an API on top, but yes, um, ultimately, People thought they're moving away from, you know, legacy networking to this new SD software control, and now they have to automate that as well. But I think it's even worse than that, Mike, because there's this this fragmentation where we've got that model, the policy-driven controllers and so on, but then, all right, so I've got SD-WAN as my thing over here, and I got this data center thing over here, and I got this Wi-Fi thing over here, and so on. And a lot of it, I mean, there's some unification, integration, depending on who which vendor we're talking about, but for the most part, it's not unified. At least that's my take on it. Do you, is that, am I making that up? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. What you're describing is the domains, the domains of automation. And a lot of times, you know, you have your, your, your domains of legacy CLI, then your domains of, CLI, of, of API controlled, and now you have your domain of cloud. And, you know, when you look at the management plane of how am I managing all these things, you got a lot of manual, you got legacy NCCM, you have vendor tools, and, and then you have, you know, Ansible playbooks and modules and, and Python. It, it's kind of, it's, it's the fragmentation has gone up into the management plane. And NetOps is really struggling with that because as we get into this conversation around DevOps and NetOps, one of the things that NetOps struggles the most with is that lack of uniformity down at the network layer and network interfaces. And that problem doesn't go away when you move the conversation to APIs. So then what is my automation strategy if I have all these different networks, these different domains, since, I'm right, that is usually what I have. And we talked about DIY network automation in the intro. You just mentioned NetOps struggling with all this stuff. If I am trying to do the DIY thing, what are the major roadblocks that I'm running into? Yeah, I would say in a, a great showcase is uh, we just presented at the Onug event um, just a, a few weeks ago, and we had a customer, Instant Young, stand up with us. And this is a great kind of example, which is they uh, had a mandate in their organization that we are going to build our own. We're going to turn all our network you know, engineers into programmers. And we're, we're going to go down this path. We're all learning Python and, you know, basically followed the guidance from the vendor community that was saying every network engineer needs to become programmers and you can build on Ansible and other products. Well, two and a half years into that journey, they got very, they got, they didn't get very far at all, essentially. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and, and we hear this story over and over again. So the, as you mentioned in the intro, it is possible. There are pieces of automation out there. You can cobble together. You can grab some, you know, scripts and you can grab some even, you know, Jinja templating and you can stitch all this stuff together. But maybe that works in a lab where it's like lower risk. And if a script blows up, it's like, you know, not that serious. But as soon as you talk about critical network infrastructure and, and really becoming serious about automation, which I think the pandemic has helped to kind of increase the visibility on levels of automation. I think that when you really assess the true cost of the DIY model and the, the you know, it, it really is um, yeah. a decision so, you need to consider. Yeah. So I learned this lesson 25 years ago when I was writing Perl scripts that would do things to devices. It would change cost policies and it would use SNMP to change configuration variables. I wasn't necessarily working on Cisco routers at the time. I was working on routers that sort of ARS routers that were SNMP ready. And I learned that I would write a script to do a thing and then I would write a script to do another thing. And then I had to chain the two scripts together. So then I wrote another script that would call the other two scripts. And then I went on for a while and I ended up with 30 or 40 scripts. And then I realized I was in a world of hurt because they didn't work together. They didn't passing variables between them. And so then we went through a series of changes where we started to, and I know this is going to sound very weird, where we actually started to create a script of scripts. Yeah. <laughs> so if you've ever done manager of managers in the old SNMP yep. days, you know, you, you'd have the vendors thing and you started to try and make a script so that you had one script for all things. And then you had a development problem and a, an operability problem. And I think that's, is that accurate to what you think, what you're seeing in the market? So Olivia, yeah. you, you've seen yeah. customer stories here. Is that a story that resonates with 25 years later? Yes, absolutely. And uh, what you describe is there's one thing you, you, you omitted is that usually when you have a problem, a new problem to solve, usually 
start over when you script. You start from scratch. It's right. very yeah. hard to reuse what's uh, already been created. And this is the gap. So this is the part where Glueware comes in and products like Glueware, there's a whole set of them. It's because that is not a single, it's not a problem you have. It's a problem everybody gets. Everybody goes down the path of Python and Ansible and it takes about nine months or a year before they hit the wall. And it takes about another nine months of a year of denying that I failed before you start to realize I have to turn around. I mean that <laughs> in the night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Greg, I'll, I'll piggyback off that and just say that it's not until you feel real pain from your the, the path you've gone down that yeah. you have to change directions. And we all know it's very hard to change directions because you've invested time and energy and effort. And it's not until a manager or something, you know, some senior makes the call like, look, this is not working. And, uh, you know, at Ernst & Young, we had Cesar on stage and he said, look, it was not working and we changed course. And that's hard to do. Yeah, it is. Okay. So we, we got to set this up for some folks, though, because I think th there is a crossroads here that different people are coming to or different IT groups are coming to with their people is the way I should put it. If I'm going down this NetOps road, I'm going to apply DevOps principles to network automation. How do I deal with the people problem? And you mentioned earlier, Mike, I think you talked about the, oh yeah, all the network engineers, we're all going to become programmers. Uh, we seem to be past that now because uh, there's really a, you know, a hybrid approach. I've talked to, talked to different folks where, yeah, some network engineers have made that leap to developer, and that's kind of their full-time role. They're, they have deep network knowledge. They've picked up how to code, and they spend most of their time working on network automation. But that's not most shops. Sometimes there's a, there's a hybrid approach here. So how do you, how do you again, your experience in the market, how do you see shops that are getting into NetOps solve the people problem? Yeah, what I would say is I, I think we're seeing a progression here and it's really a, a change in mindset and a change in the landscape, which is a few years ago, we would have mostly NetOps people at the table and they had very little coding experience. Now, and, and again, post pandemic, when we engage with a customer, there's usually an automation lead at the table. There's sometimes a DevOps person at the table. So you have more stakeholders who, who are putting more requirements on the automation and orchestration solution. They are asking questions like, do you have a programmatic API that's well-defined? How is your platform extensible? There's a lot of fear around getting like locked into a vendor solution. So the programmatic people want to know extensibility and programmability and how do I integrate with you know, external components? And that's all important. But your NetOps person is saying, I need to get my job done. I need to inventory the network and audit the network and push config changes. I need to replace my manual efforts and my NCCMs. And so I would just say that we're, we're seeing more personas in the, in the meeting where, where the program ability and the extensibility is now an important question. Like how quickly can you integrate with ServiceNow or something like that? But you said something else interesting. You said replace NCCMs. What, what, what would be driving that specifically? Because you could argue, I've already got a tool that's doing something for me and making my life easier. So how do NCCMs being replaced fit into all this? Yeah, and this is a fundamental component of what we're trying to do with progressing network automation, which is NCCMs take the approach of treating configurations like text. I back up text files. I push text files. We're not treating you're not treating that uh, those CLI lines like code. I think once you can make the jump to treat the network infrastructure like code and take a config file and either make it all one piece of code or, or deconstruct it like we do into individual pieces of code based on feature, 
now you can really start to enable a programmatic network. So when we meet with folks using NCCMs, they say, well, I back up my configs and I push configs with my, it allows me to push CLI. And it's like, how's that working for you? You know, I mean, because we, we've talked about it before and, and Greg, you mentioned this a lot, which is when, when your copy is bad or if you're, if you're propagating old information forward and your copy paste errors or your pushes are unintelligent, you're not performing pre-checks and post-checks and able to handle variables. I mean, it's about making things much more intelligent. You mentioned intent-based a little bit. I'm not saying, I think there's a lot of, you know, intent washing and the term is, you know, uh, can is polarizing a little bit, but when when you just think about progressing the intelligence of automation, I think that's the goal. Well, let's get into how Glueware is helping us with NetOps. We've set a context here about NetOps. Network operations is taking DevOps principles, what the development world would be using to push code into production. There's pipelining, there's error checking, and so on. We want to take that uh, and turn our approach to provisioning infrastructure and this infrastructure as code approach. You folks, Glueware, have tooling that's going to help me with that. And uh, there, there's an announcement here that you have around a product called Glueware Lab. And, and right out of the gate here, Glueware Lab is not some like, oh, this is where I go to try Glueware. It's no, this is a, a, a product that allows me to build something. Give, give us the elevator pitch. That's exactly right. So Glueware Lab is something that has, it was the fundamental component of Glueware. It existed well before our, our productized user interface and the things that most consumers see. It is where everything is built and then kind of published into our platform, which is Glueware Control. And then within Glueware Control, we have applications. And that's when you think about the Glueware platform, and again, trying to draw the analogy with the, the DevOps pipeline, DevOps has CI, CD, continuous integration, continuous deployment. The productized side of Glueware so far has been control with these applications. That's continuous deployment and it's packaged applications and it's no code. It's, you know, inventory and audit and config manage and, and do all these functions and NetOps love that. The continuous integration side where where do I develop these features and test them and then push them to production, that's the Glueware lab side. So one is Glueware Lab is based on the Eclipse framework. It's a rich desktop client. It has, it is a very mature, we've used it for over seven years. It has libraries and wizards and components to get you going very quickly. And that's where you build and then publish into, you know, the, the, the no code platform. So there's the coding side and the no coding side. So Glueware Lab, you said something key there. It, you didn't just build this recently. You've had this internally for a long time. And, and, and what happened? You decided to productize it then and make it available to the customers? That's exactly right. I mean, we're, we're at a point where, again, I think we've turned the corner. There's enough capability and capacity in the large enterprise where they do want to be self-enabled. And when I say self-enabled, it really comes down to three key things they can do with Glueware Lab. They can customize network features and data models. Glueware abstracts can do abstraction on top of CLI and do intelligent you know, business logic and guardrails. When you think about that, everyone wants things just slightly differently. So that's network features and data modeling. And we'll, we'll, we can dive into that further. The next is script and uh, scripting and workflows. So workflows are your step-by-step -step execution, 
a script is something you want to run more kind of autonomously and have something executing and can take action for you. We have a great example to talk to in that. And the third, one of the most important now is API integrations, where a customer can can integrate their own third-party API calls. And so all of that is fully available now. And we did a pilot with some key customers, train them up on our, our product, which is our internal product. We did a pilot training up some key customers and it was very successful. And it, you know, um, we talked a little bit before about, you know, things being what, what's going on under the cover. Is this a closed system or an open system? When you kind of open that, you know, go under the cover and, or open that up, under the hood, I should say, I guess it's the, the car analogy. It's a, how do these things work and can I build it myself? And that's what Glueware Lab provides. Uh, let me read this back to you. I think I've got at least two major things I took away from that description of Glueware Lab, Mike. One is if I've got something custom on my network, something unusual that Glueware isn't dealing for dealing with for me out of the box, I could use Glueware Lab to do something custom again. You mentioned like a network data model that is you know, unusual that I need to incorporate into my network automation platform. So that's one thing I think I got there. And then Absolutely. two, if I've got other systems um, and I want to integrate Glueware into my larger IT ecosystem, whatever other big platforms I've invested in, I you might've said ServiceNow, I think. I, it, I can do that uh, more easily with Glueware Lab. Absolutely. Yeah. Full REST development kit to integrate any REST call calls. Yes. Yes. Okay. And is that, is, is that the main thing? Did I get both things yeah. or is there the some, only, some the other point? The only thing to touch on is you have these concepts of workflows, which are, you know, and this has kind of become a hot topic and, and Glueware is moving fast in this direction in that we've had pre-canned workflows and we've had the ability to build workflows in Glueware lab. And, you know, but some people go, well, I want the drag and drop. I want the easy no code workflow builder. And that's coming too, you know, but the key to when you introduce something that's low code or no code and it's drag and drop, you need the building blocks. You need those tasks or integrations so that you can drag and drop them. And Gluer Lab enables you to build those things. And so today in Gluer Lab, you build, you can build your whole work workflow end to end. It's not drag and drop, but it's wizard driven and it's easy, easier. What we're moving towards is where Glueware Lab builds the building blocks and then you, you still can then tie those building blocks together with the drag and drop. So that's that's in the very near future. We're excited about that. So it, it, it feels somewhere between Zapier and uh, an IDE. It's somewhere in the middle. Um, it's doing a lot for me. So it's not no code. Um, there is some development work in coding that I would need to do to build these components. Uh, but yet I'm not spending all my time within an IDE writing, uh, writing Python script, let's say. Yeah. yeah. And I'd like to invite Olivier into this because I think it's a really important thing to grasp, which is, you know, are you going to require me to be a developer or am, mm. can I be a network engineer and just have some kind of scripting skill set and, and do some work? So, Olivier, maybe you can comment about how Glueware Lab is built and it's built for a network engineer. Yes, you don't, you don't have to be a developer to use Lab. This is something pretty important is that you do not have to be a full-blown developer to use Lab. And the reason is the reason why it's because the way that the Glueware framework has been created is that we know that when you script, you're going to have to go through, you know, thinking about, oh, how do I present the data to users? The user is going to give me some data. Hmm, I'm going to have to validate that data. Oh, I'm going to have to store that data. So 
yes, there's going to be a UI component, a database component, you know, CRUD operation, create, read, update, delete operations, right? And or when you're going to deal with APIs, you're going to have to deal, okay, I need to authenticate, um, wait, uh, this remote endpoint needs uh, a cookie to maintain the session. All that is taken care of for you uh, within, within Gluer Lab. Um, this is what the framework does. There's a lot of um, under the covers engine that is you know, performing all these, what we like to call a Glueware kind of the development overhead. All that overhead is taken care of for you. So the idea is that if you are you know, not that experienced in scripting, then you can get the job done and go and focus straight, um, you know, implementing your network business logic. But it doesn't mean that if you're a, a full-blown you know, developer that you cannot you know, find what, what you want. I mean, it, it's not, Blueware Lab is an IDE, a full-blown IDE, nothing is hidden from you. If you know what you're doing, then you can you know, use all the power. It's just that we deemed super important that for people that do not have all the development experience that they could still get the job done. So if I am a developer, is there a domain specific language I need to understand to get deep under the under the covers? JavaScript is the language we use, mm -hmm. uh, and this is this is pretty much it. I mean, this is this is very simplified server side JavaScript. Now, if you are you know you want to have fun and not use or I'm going to say amazing way of handling network. Um, I'm sorry, um, JavaScript classes, and you want to write your own JavaScript classes or bring your own JavaScript classes, then you can you can do that. So, Olivier, one of the things that strikes me about Glueware, though, is that we've talked with you many times in the past, and your product is very complex. You've got the engine in the back and the intelligent capabilities to, to, to you know, read the configuration from a wide range of multi-event devices and then put it back out in a way that makes sense, right? If I'm going with Glueware Lab, am I still able to bring my Python scripts or my other stuff in and then use those? Can I integrate them into this platform, or is that not part, not how the product works yet? So today, no. Today, you cannot bring your Ansible scripts, your Python scripts, etc., just because we don't want to let you struggle with the scale of handling all these different scripts. I mean, mm -hmm. bringing the engine is easy. The production aspect of this, the scale, how the scripts are maintained, stored, the logs, etc. I mean, uh, unless we give that to you at the same time, then uh, no, we're not. We're not going to allow you to just you know bring your own Python scripts. Okay. Well, th there is some integration, though. I, I believe uh, Terraform is part of the solution, yeah? That is correct. Yes, we have mm. Terraform, and because we thought about Terraform holistically, so it, it's, you know, you have ways to create your, um, you know, config Terraform configurations in Glueware UI. They are stored correctly. The state files are stored correctly. Yes, it's, it's definitely supported today. And, mm -hmm. and, and maybe Ansible and Python and some other things someday once you've had the opportunity to put the guardrails in place? Yes, it will happen. Absolutely. Wow, that was definitive. It will happen. <laughs> yes, you heard it here, folks. It will definitely happen. Uh, so, Olivier, an another thing I wanted to understand is this workflow concept again, because I, I, I there's another show I'm on, Day 2 Cloud, the Day 2 Cloud po podcast. We talk about pipelines an awful lot. So does is workflow in the Glueware Lab context, is that like a pipeline? Help me understand what's going on here. 
the workflow is a next, next, next finish presentations, um, you know, to smooth your operations is that sometimes if you give a UI, you want the operations to be guided in the process. You know, you can enter this, you can enter that, you cannot do this, you cannot do that. So this is what a workflow is. And lab is where you create these custom workflows. So that would be like, I am now consuming this thing that I built in Glueware Labs. And the workflow is me as the consumer of this artifact that I built in Glueware Lab. Uh, uh, the workflow is stepping me through the process of whatever the, the thing is that I'm doing. Yeah? Yes. I can give an example to make this a little clearer. You have created some automation for one of your controllers, let's say an ACI, you know, Cisco ACI controller, and you want to ask questions to the user. So as opposed to just give them a form, then they can, uh, you know, go through the, 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 the pages of your workflow, answer the questions, click finish, and it happens. Okay. Yeah. And so you've just described interacting with, I'm calling it an artifact that I've created with Glueware Lab. What Can you define that more? Succinctly, what, what am I creating in Glueware Lab? How do how do I see it and then interact with it within the Glueware system once I built it? So our um, artifact are packages. Packages includes everything you create in lab. It could be data models, it could be network features, it could be workflows, and uh, Glueware Lab has an embedded Glueware engine, so you can develop test, create, repeat, amend. And then once you're happy, then it creates a package. And that package is sent to what we call the distribution center and all the engines out there for production, the glue control, they just grab these packages to consume. It's the same, the same approach that, you know, when a developer is using, is, is, is creating an app on, on an iPhone, he's using Xcode. He's got everything to test his app on Xcode. And when he's happy, he sends this to the app store for all the iPhones to grab. We have the exact same approach. So uh, you just answered another question then. Glueware Lab is not a standalone product uh, as such. It is part of the Glueware ecosystem. I have Glueware control, and that is part of my network automation world before I am using Glueware Lab, correct? That's correct. Yes, Glueware Lab is a way to customize what you see in Glueware control, either because what you see is not to your liking, it's not exactly what you need, or you want to create some automation that is not shipping with Glueware, uh, Glueware control. So give me an example of something your customers have done with Glueware Lab, because I, I know you've turned this loose on a few people uh, already. So help us visualize that with uh, some customer stories. So I have two for you. Um, one that we already mentioned earlier, but I think this one's worth um, highlighting again because it's a it's it's a great use case. So we have a customer that wanted to integrate Blueware in their CI/CD pipeline for the provisioning of their EVPN VXLAN, um, you know, uh, SVI interfaces, um, VLANs, VRFs, and all that. And they wanted to create a custom model supporting their data. So in lab, they were able to create this custom model and expose this through APIs. So they created an, a custom API call that their CI/CD pipeline were able to interact with, and they're using Glueware completely headless. That's the first use case. All right. Oh, okay, we got to dive into this a little bit here. Don't don't run off and leave me hanging okay. on all these 
wonderful acronyms you just tossed my way. So, okay. So EVPN in their own, this is very fresh in my head. I recorded something with uh, my instructor friend, uh, Tony Burke, about EVPN. You mentioned provisioning VRFs. You mentioned provisioning VLANs and so on. There are a lot of artifacts that you need to create to stand up your EVPN fabric. Is that what they were doing? Standing up fabric with all of its details and like adding, you know, new switches to the fabric and, and so on? So EVPN VXLAN is about, uh, you know, you have multiple aspects in the management of, of an EVP, uh, EVPN VXLAN, you know, fabric, you got your underlay or overlay, and then the overlay, you have the foundations of the overlay, and then everything that's, you know, uh, all your VLANs, VRFs, all that, et cetera. And you have your switch port management as well to assign your VLANs to your ports. That customer had a very, very precise idea of which part they wanted to automate. And it was just about the higher level of the overlay, which is just focusing on the VLANs, VRF, and SVI interfaces that they wanted to deploy. And that's it. Do not touch my underlay. Do mm. not touch my switch port. This, is, this was very, very accurate. And to throw one extra difficulty in, in the mix, they said, oh, by the way, I already have three, 400 you know, VLANs, VRF already deployed. I would like Lure to only take care of the new ones coming up. Do not touch the existing ones. The other magic word you said was headless. That is, everything's being done through Glue API. That's correct. Yes. Hmm. So um, injecting all this data that was coming from their IPAM system, uh, they were also using other, you know, uh, other systems where their AS numbers were stored and all that. So all that was just sent to Glueware through API calls, and then they trigger the provisioning of these um, new uh, VLANs, VRF, SVIs, you know, through API calls. Bluewear Lab was used then to build their custom data model since they had this very specific idea of what they wanted to achieve in their EVPN fabric as they were provisioning new bits. They built a model to support that in Glueware Lab, and now that can be referenced from the rest of the Glueware system, from Glueware Control, to push these changes out, yeah? Yes, we helped them develop the very first iteration of it. We gave them the model, and now they, they, they're playing on their own. And Ethan, I'll jump in just to say is that, you know, the net network engineers use um, the Glueware UIs and they're using our applications. That component, you know, that we exposed was very specific for their developers to, to use Glueware headless for the addition and potentially removal of VLANs in the fabric, right? So they're still using Glueware for operational purposes, you know, as a typical net ops engineer. But the exposure that they provided through API was for very specifically for the dev team to be able to make the changes on the network they needed. So that's that programmability of the network. So it's not like that's the only scope of Glueware they're using. The NotOps teams is using all our applications. The DevOps teams was at the table and said, we want programmability to change the network headlessly. And with Olivier saying is that we put the, the data model in place and the guardrails in place where they can they only make the changes that they need. Yeah. Mm. There's one use case, and that is uh, the more I study EVPN, the more frightened I am of just how many parameters there are that you need to set up to get it right. So th this is kind of a big deal. I, At some point, I'd love to see the custom data model. That would be fascinating. But but anyway, um, I know there's more use cases, but there's a, this prompted another question in my head. We're talking about building things. That is, there's a data model, there's a control process, we've provisioned the network to do a thing. 
What about the flip side of that? Is there something in Glueware Lab I could maybe build custom to help me on the monitoring side to verify and validate my infrastructure? So maybe I'll take that first and Olivia can jump in and that as you're talking about, I mean, pushing config changes is extremely, you know, it's like the kind of the common thing you think about is make the change, automate the change. Well, you you need to automate, you know, the pre-check and the post-check and the validation the Gluer engine has a lot of the, the config validation built in. It automatically checks the pre-configured state. It automatically checks the post-configured state. But through, through Glueware capability we have called the state assessment, we can wrap in automating any operational check, like a show command, and then doing something with that data. And I think this actually wraps into a really cool second use case where they're concerned in an operational example about the port state. So maybe we can meet, jump into that. Olivier can describe that. Yes, and that was the second use case I wanted to talk about is uh, something that is, is not shipping with Gluer uh, control. So we have a customer that was um, afraid of oh, the switch ports being left uh, unattended. Uh, it's just like it's enabled, but there's no activity on it. It's just, um, you know, <laughs> we know that the, how this works. You have thousands of switches try to find the few ports that are left open and yeah. that are not, you know, admin shutdown. Um, so we created a, you know, custom script for that customer. And that script was all about chasing up those custom, um, you know, switch ports, um, those, those, those so non-connections. Basically, right? there'll be switches in the network. And if a port hadn't been used in a week, it would deactivate the port, basically. Well, there was one... Um, Curveball to this, they wanted a ServiceNow changed management in the mix. Right. Yes. So that when a candidate switch port was found, then you would need to go through a change request, and the Glueware engine would only perform the shutdown of that port if that request is approved. So of this is it would, what because that would make it make it all right. You know, yeah, maybe right. someone is going on vacation and you don't want to shut that port, right? <laughs> well, you know, you know there's a process, and the process says there has to be a change ticket. So, the idea of creating a change ticket automatically actually sounds awesome to me because I really didn't want to have to be looking at an Excel spreadsheet with a thousand ports showing as inactive and then thinking I have to raise a thousand change tickets. Is that basically it? That is it, Greg, in that, um, you know, it's it's about a kind of an autonomous pro, uh, project, which is like you kick this off. And this is kind of the difference between the Gluer definition of a workflow and a custom script. A workflow is a procedure or a process. Someone steps through like a little wizard and then completes a task. Maybe it's right. Yeah. Turning ports up or changing thing or maybe changing a QoS policy. A, a custom script can do a lot of things. But one of the things it can do here is it's this ongoing monitoring with with a uh a policy in place of looking at how long a, um, a port has been unused. And yeah. then, uh, and then it's doing this integration with service now where you don't have to be the one to go and do a manual interrupt to go and open a ticket. You know, yeah. when you think of all the steps an ops person would have to go through <laughs> to raise all that, right. Yeah. It's all that administrative <laughs> kind of BS, and right. That, and it's yeah. not value added, right. Raising it's a not. ticket to say this port has been inactive for a week. Exactly. Can I please shut this down? That's well, not man, value enhancing. And you're only not. following the process for the process's sake. The, the second right. question that I want to ask around this. So there has to be a process here where I control who gets access to these activities. If I'm going to use a tool like Glueware Lab to do the configuration for me, I need 
to be able to say only this person can run that or only this tool can do this? Is there some sort of audit and RBAC controls on this? So there's RBAC in Glueware, yes. And everything you create in lab will have these RBAC settings uh, accessible. So you can make a, you can design a workflow that is only intended for advanced users that operations you know, won't see, for instance, because it's performing like a very special dangerous task and you don't want to expose that to, to, to everyone. So there are, yes, Craig, there are customizable role-based access levels mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it's tied to your authentication and your, your authorization of what you're able to do. And it's actually quite granular what you can control. So absolutely are back tied in and, you know, kind of that, those guardrails are on. And then there's very deep logging of everything that was done in the system. So if you need to go back and figure out what happened, that, that analytical data is there. All right. Okay. There's one one question about all of this I, I think I have left. I feel like I got a pretty good understanding of what Glueware Lab is. So, Mike, maybe this is a question for you. Do you anticipate that every Glueware customer is going to become a Glueware Lab consumer as well? Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I mean, what we're seeing is a high percentage of our customers right now, maybe 75 or 80% just want to use the functionality that we deliver out of the box with our applications. And that's great. And then some customers also, when you think about API integration, are happy with our published API. So I think we kind of tick those boxes, but then it, it either is a, how long someone's been using Glueware or they have the capacity right out of the gate where they do want the ability to do integrations, customization, and now we can offer that as well. And so I think the key point there though, is with Glueware Lab is to make sure they see that the time to value is still there, which is they can do things in Glueware Lab extremely rapidly, which is still better than the start from scratch, build it yourself, script it yourself kind of model. You're building on top of a platform, which has already done a lot of the heavy lifting for you, you layer in your business logic, your custom data model, and you're off and running. And it's it also is integrated with all the apps that your ops team is already using. So I think it's a it's a maturity question, and it depends where that customer's at. But uh, over time, more and more. Well, Mike, for those folks that are interested in Glueware broadly and maybe Glueware Lab specifically, uh, where would you send them? Well, we, we have Glueware.com and we actually have a portal dedicated to our Packet Pushers episodes and, and we link relative collateral. So Glueware.com slash Packet dash Pushers. If you're interested in just Glueware Lab and hitting that, there's a, a product page on that Glueware.com slash Glueware dash Lab. And, um, you know, from our Glueware.com, you can request a test drive. You can request a demo. You can just say, please contact us. And we even have Glueware Pro free. So if you want to use our applications and get started, we have... Uh, you can go and request free access and we will set you up from our AWS instance. That is G-L-U-W-A-R-E dot com, glueware.com. Uh, thanks to both of you, uh, Mike and Olivier, for coming on the show today. And our thanks to you for listening to this episode of Heavy Networking. If this was your first time hearing about our sponsor, Glueware, you should check out PacketPushers.net for more shows we've recorded with them over the years. And also our YouTube channel, because we have a series of videos where we chat with the Glueware team and customers. And you're going to get a better sense of how their network automation platform works. And if you do give Glueware a call, please remember to tell them that you heard about them on the Packet Pushers Heavy Networking Podcast. And if you'd like even more IT content like this, and I know you would, visit our subscribe page or search for Packet Pushers in your podcast client to find our entire lineup of shows, including the weekly news on Network Break, IPv6 Buzz for all your V6 needs, Day 2 Cloud for the hands-on Clouderati, 
Greg's shiny new heavy strategy, and more. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.